Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You need to embrace the challenge of more conflict because the Christian life is going to be filled with more conflict. That's just going to happen. To say God loves you and has a plan of conflict for your future, that, that wouldn't sell as well, I suppose. Not a great marketing tool, but it's exactly what we need to hear because we need to count the cost, identify it, and say, I will gladly pay it. There was a time when Christian values were mainstream, but those days are quickly waning. The reality of following Christ today means embracing the theological, cultural, and personal conflict that comes with maintaining a biblical worldview. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains that when you align yourself with the truth, you will inevitably bump up against everything else. I'm your host, Dave Drury. We're opening our Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 17, as Pastor Mike continues a message titled, Saul, New Challenges. Start with me in verse 17. We're looking at verses 17 through 25 in Acts chapter 9. Let's read it first. Follow along as I read it for you from the English Standard Version, beginning in verse 17. So Ananias, this is not the Ananias of chapter 5, remember? Different guy living in Damascus, way up north in Syria. So Ananias departed and entered the house. He was supposed to go to Judas' house on Straight Street and within the walled city of Damascus. And uh, Saul would be there. Of course, he was told he was going to be there. He was going to be praying. And he'd been fasting for a few days. And he was blind, of course, after, after getting knocked off of his horse, you might remember, as he approached Damascus. And laying his hands on him, he said, so here's Ananias saying to Saul, who would become Paul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. Now, he didn't have scales in his eyes, right? This is a phrase you could translate, and the concept is it is as though there were scales in his eyes, like he had a mask on or some kind of blocking, some kind of something over his eyes, which, of course, he didn't. But the idea was, it was like someone pulled this, this face mask off of his eyes. Right? He now could see something like scales. It was as though scales or something were closing his eyes were now opened, and he regained his sight, and he was baptized. So Ananias here in front of, I'm sure, some of Paul's remaining entourage at Judas's house there are watching him. There's people, I'm sure, that came with Ananias. Judas, of course, was there at his own house, we can assume, and they all watch now. Saul of Tarsus, the former Pharisee who came to persecute the church, saying, I am now a follower of Christ. I declare this publicly through my water baptism. And taking food, remember he had been fasting. Taking food, he was strengthened, of course, you can imagine. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, in other words, the thing that he starts doing right out of the gate in his new Christian life here is he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. It's not a popular figure to be talking about in the synagogues. But he comes back to Damascus. That's his base of operation, at least at the beginning here. And the Jews plotted to kill him. We've got to kill this guy. But their plot became known to Saul. That they were watching the gates night and day in order to kill him. The disciples get very innovative here. And it says, the disciples, verse 25, took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall in a, in a basket with a rope. It's just an amazing turnaround. Now, God could have done all of this. We saw even Philip, like it seems like at least, teleported out of the situation. God could have given him his sight back, taught him all he needed to know, and teleported him out of the city. 
But instead, he says, no, that's not how the Christian life is lived. And Paul goes on to teach this over and over and over and over again. The body of Christ is a communal situation. It's all of us being interdependent on one another. We're not mavericks. We're not, in, we're not isolated. We're not privatized. We're not just the people that just do it on our own. We're people that have to depend on one another. And here's the thing. You and I don't naturally like to do that. We have to do that. In modern society, at least, most of us, you didn't grow your own food this week. You probably didn't build your own house. Right? You have all of the, you pay your taxes and people build roads for you and the, you didn't build your own car. We have this kind of interdependence in society, but I just want to be as dependent as I have to be and then I want to be like on my own. Step into the Christian life and God says, I'm not playing by those rules anymore. You are now going to be increasingly interdependent. You are going to have to be dependent upon, Paul's going to now be dependent upon to take the name of Christ to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the nations, to the Jews. And Paul, you're going to have to depend on people. There's going to be a new set of interdependence because you now are a Christian. Number one, if you're taking notes, you and I need to embrace the challenge of greater interdependence. Christianity is you and I saying, that is the new life I signed up for. Just have to do it. And I think that has to be taught in America more than it has to be taught in a lot of other places. It has to be taught in the West, in our independent, autonomous, free-thinking I'm my own guy, you've got to hear this more perhaps with a greater, longer, extended first point of a sermon than a lot of other cultures where that's the way they live a lot of their lives. They don't have to. They choose to be more interdependent. And we as a congregation, of course, stepping into the Christian life, it can rock our sensibilities to know how much God wants our lives to be lived within the intertwined relationships, communication, openness that God expects us to have. Verse 20, he proclaims Jesus, because that's what we're all supposed to do, right? You're all supposed to say, I was wrong about God. I was wrong about Christ. Now I have to have a different position, and I'm going to tell people about it. (laughs) I remember my best friend in high school. I go off to college. I become a Christian. I come back, spend the first summer there with my friend. He's, you know, just a typical dude from high school I hung out with. And I remember sitting across from him and sharing as I sat in the front seat of my my Volkswagen, and I, I remember talking about the importance of what had happened in my life, and that I'd become this follower of Christ, and how important it was, and that he needed to. And I remember his response to all that was just so dismissive, right? Something now that had become so central in my heart and my life, now to him was like, matter of fact, I remember, I've quoted this before, it's been years, I suppose, but uh, Neil says to me, uh, you know, surfing, he's a surfer, surfing is my church. The the wave is my God. That's just kind of (laughs) how, tells you the quality of the friends I was hanging out with, I suppose. But I mean, To him, it was like, you're not going to make this God of the Bible and this Jesus of history be the God that supplants. I mean, I I think think what you're doing is dumb. Now, that that created a conflict. I become a Christian, and I proclaim Christ in the front seat of my blue Volkswagen, and I tell my friend, listen, you need to see Christ for who he is. I was wrong when you and I were friends in high school about my view of God. Now I'm telling you what's right, and, and that instantly caused this problem between us. And so it is for Paul, right? He proclaims Christ in the synagogues. Because he knows they have the wrong view of God, just like I had the wrong view of God because I didn't even embrace his Christ. And now I'm going to tell you, you guys need to embrace his Christ. He is the son of God. And they start going, how in the world do you make such a turnaround here? Like a lot of people said about you and me when we started telling them our conversion story. So he has this amazing conversion and he goes, I can't even believe you're saying all this. And it ends with the transitional verse there in verse 23 is they want to kill him. Talk about conflict. Yeah, there's going to be conflict. Number two, that's the second thing you need to do. You need to embrace the challenge of more conflict because the Christian life is going to be filled with more conflict. That's just going to happen. 
right? The, the, as I kind of mocked with, you know, with jest and tongue in cheek, the, the old and, and very popular track, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, is the first thing you need to think about. To say God loves you and has a plan of conflict for your future, that, that wouldn't sell as well, I suppose, not a great marketing tool, but it's exactly what we need to hear because we need to count the cost, identify it, and say, I will gladly pay it. When Ananias was given the message that Saul needs to suffer many things, I'm going to show him that he's got to suffer many things for me. Then immediately out of the gate, he knows this, I can't be as independent as I used to be. God's going to force me to be dependent on these people called Christians. They're going to depend on me and I'm going to depend on them. And you're going to have conflict. All your old colleagues and friends, they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think, what happened to you? They're going to think, I don't really like the new you. And there's going to be conflict. Let me show you four different categories real quickly of the conflict you're going to have. Let me label these. Four categories, A, B, C, and D. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4 to identify the first one. It's very simple. It's one I just described to you in the front seat of my blue Volkswagen when Neil was telling me, I don't like your theology. I got my own theology. I think your theology is wrong and my theology is right. That's called, let's just label this one, then we'll look at the passage, theological conflict. Right? He has a view of God. He even called surfing his God in the wave, you know, or surfing his church in the wave his God. That was how he viewed his life, and that's how he viewed God. And so we had a theological conflict. Did he believe in God? Sure, like 90% of the people in our country, they believed, he believed in God, like most of your friends believe in God. But you go and tell them now, I believed in God before too, but now I had it wrong about Christ. And I'm going to tell you exactly who Christ is and how he has changed my life. My life now is now subjected to the Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, and I am supposed to live for him. That's going to cause theological conflict. Not everyone sees Christ the same way as that. Verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit. We're not talking about Ouija board, woo, spirit here. I can prove that to you by looking at verse 6. Last sentence in verse 6, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Is there demonic and angelic stuff behind it. Well, sure, but that's not the point. The point here is there's a corpus of teaching about God, and people are saying those things, and some of them are not true. Don't believe every spirit, every, every lecture, every philosophy, every theological statement, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Shouldn't believe what everybody says. Can't say your truth, my truth, whatever you want to believe, that's fine. Why? Well, you need to know, first of all, many false prophets have gone out into the world. They're saying all kinds of things that are wrong. They're false. That's a value statement. That's a truth claim that we're saying this truth is incompatible with that truth. For instance, um, the Jews thought that Jesus was a lot of things. They thought in the end, he certainly wasn't who he said he was. He was a false Messiah. Maybe he's a good teacher. Remember, Jesus asked his own disciples, who do people say that I am? This, 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 and this. He wants to make sure that you get clear, who do you say that I am? And so once we establish that, that then is set, and we realize if we're saying the right thing about who Christ is, everyone else who says something different, we're immediately at odds with them. Theologically, we are in conflict, just logically so. The Jews said he's a false Messiah. We're saying he's the real Messiah. Paul was saying, Saul of Tarsus was saying, Jesus is dead. I don't know, his body is is somewhere. And, And now he has to say, no, Jesus is alive. And so he's changed his, his view here about what is true. When Hinduism or Buddhism says about Jesus, who is Jesus? Well, they say, well, he's an avatar, an enlightened teacher, a guru. We're saying, no, no, he's not any of that. 
He's God incarnate. He's the son of man of Daniel chapter 7. You need to bow your knee to him. He is the ultimate God. It's not many gods. There's one God and there's one Christ and one Lord for us and that is the king and you need to bow to him. They don't like that. They don't believe that. You cannot believe both about God. God's either telling the truth about Christ and I'm affirming that truth or you're saying something different and we are now in theological loggerheads. By this you may know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, has come in the flesh is from God. We're talking about his fulfillment of Scripture. We're talking about his deity, preexistence, and the glory of God, John 17. That's what we're saying. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus from God, that's a problem. There's, there's the two things. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming. We warned you there was going to be theological conflict in your life. It's now already in, in the world. It's there. It's everywhere. Little children, you are from God. And you've overcome them. You're on the right side of history. You've affirmed the truth. You believe God's testimony. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. A lot of thoughts, a lot of spirits of, of teaching and theology and doctrine and a lot of cult groups and a lot of people saying a lot of things. But if we align ourselves with the truth, we bow our, our knee to the Christ who is true, well, then we know we're on the right side of history, right? We've overcome them. They, verse 5, are from the world, and they speak from the world, and the world loves that, listens to them. Notice how they love to applaud every religion but ours. Did you notice that? The world loves that. Right? We just want to be able to be really loosey-goosey about whatever Jesus, someone wants to think about Jesus, it's cool with us. But we're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Wow, how arrogant is that? Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Wow, really? You Christians are so narrow-minded. We are. We're very narrow-minded about this. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Whether you affirm what the Bible says, what we're saying, what we're affirming, then you're, we're okay. But we're true and you're false. You want to say anything else about Christ other than what God has said about Christ, then you're at theological odds with us and we're never going to say we're, those two can be compatible. See, if you think pluralism as a philosophy and culture is a good thing, you need to define it simply as this. We're not going to kill you if you disagree but we are going to say you're wrong and we're right. That's not an arrogant statement. Any more than it's an arrogant statement to be the chief of staff at a hospital. And you want to get a reference on a surgeon that's applying for a job in your hospital. And when you say, I want to know the reference about him, and you go and find someone who knows the background about him and comes and says, here is what this surgeon is. He's this, that, this, that, and the other. And you go, okay, there you go. I'm going to look at what other people say about him. And you find someone who's got the truth and you find someone that's got error. And you do your homework and you say, this aligns with the truth about this person. And this one does not. This guy's saying he's a clown. He's ridiculous. He can't even cut a person open straight, whatever. And I need to make a decision about this surgeon because a lot rides on that. And so I'm looking at people giving me a reference. The surgeon is who he is. You can't change that. I can't change who God is, and I can't change who Christ is. He is who he is. He's the God who's there, and Christ is whoever he is. I'm trying to figure out who that is. Is Hinduism right? Is Buddhism right? Are the Mormons right? Are the Jehovah Witnesses right? right? Is Islam right? I need to figure that out. I need to really look at that. And Paul has gone from not affirming the truth to affirming the truth, and that puts him immediately at theological odds with people. And if you're not comfortable with that, all I'm saying is you need to get comfortable with that, at least get comfortable with the discomfort of being at odds and in conflict with people theologically, because that's your life, because that's part and parcel of Christianity. Well, I want to have a baby that doesn't poop his diapers. Well, I'm sorry. They haven't made that kind yet. So you're stuck changing diapers. And all I'm saying is, can't you enjoy the baby 
and hold your nose changing the diapers. And I get this. You don't like conflict. I'd like to live my life now until the end of my life with no conflict and everyone agreeing with me all the time. I'd love that. Just like you'd like your, your infant not to poop. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. But that's not how it works. I become a Christian and all of a sudden I'm saying Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And a lot of people in the world, matter of fact, most of the people in the world say something different about that. And I'm saying, you're wrong. You have a spirit of error. You are the Antichrist. Start the conversation with Oprah that way. You're the Antichrist. You have the spirit of error. You're speaking falsehood. Now, I'm just saying, Christianity may have even been so characterized as that kind of thing, and you may say, I hate that. But I'm telling you, I didn't write this. This is what God has said about the truth. You either believe it or you don't believe it. And if you believe it, then we have to, we have to come around and say, okay, well, they both, we can't all be right. We can't all be right. Any more than the references about a would-be surgeon can all be right. Not if they're at odds with each other. And that's what we're looking for. And we have in Scripture, 66-book library, all of them giving us an accurate reference on Christ. While the world says something different, I'm going to go with God's prophetic reference on who this person is. And that's what Lewis, this great intellect, this dawn at Oxford, ended up coming to the conclusion, like a lot of people, I, I guess he's either the Lord, or he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. You've got to make a decision. And we come to that, and we say, okay, it's going to put me at theological odds with people. Paul had been calling Jesus, I don't know, a lunatic or a liar, one or the other, but now he's calling him Lord. That's going to cause theological conflict. Go to the next chapter, chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. Drop down to verse 9. Look at 9 through 10, 9 and 10. Here's the second level. That was letter A. If we receive the testimony of men, if, if you're that dumb, right, the testimony of God is greater. Don't listen to the crowd. Don't listen to the world. We've got to listen to God. God has spoken. For this is the testimony of God. He is born concerning his son. This is what the whole letter has been about. This is what John's gospel was about. We have the truth about Christ. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. You bought it, you believe it, your heart now aligns with this truth. Check this out. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. You're accusing him of being a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Think about that. We've gone from theological conflict to now that something's going to cause social conflict, relational conflict. That's letter B. Because you're calling God a liar. That's why Oprah and I cannot be buddies. We just can't. Or anybody else. Oprah, that's so dated. That shows how old I am. Pick whoever the normal Joe Rogan. I don't know who the cool talk show person is now, but I can't be buddies with you when you're calling my God a liar. I'm willing to evangelize you, but I'm going to be tenacious about who Christ is. And if you want to deny that, then I guess what? I guess we're not going to be golfing buddies. Right? It's like me saying to you about your wife, the wife that you have a photo album and you married her and you celebrate anniversaries and you sleep with her every night and she is your wife, your loving covenant partner. And I say, ah, she ain't your wife. She's not your wife. Not your wife. Nah, I don't even know. I don't even think she lives in your house. Maybe she visits every night. She ain't your wife. She's not your wife. You're going to say, dude, stop it. I, she is my wife. No, nope, 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 nope. And eventually you're going to say, are you calling me a liar? And you may want to pull out photo albums like, I don't even want to see it. She's just not your wife. That is what people are saying about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. They're denying the relationship. But it's more than just a relational denial. It is a ontological denial. They're claiming he is not the Son of God 
that he's not the Lord, that he's not deity incarnate, that the fullness of deity is not dwell in bodily form. They deny that. So that's like me saying, not only she's not your wife, but hey, you know what? And she's a dude, she's a guy. I don't know, at some point, are we gonna stop being golfing partners if I insist that your wife is a dude? Now, I know this illustration doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but go back in your mind when the world made sense about 10 or 15 years ago. And let's just pretend we're, we're doing this like in the 90s or something. If I start calling your wife a guy and you say, dude, stop it. She is my wife and she is a woman. I'm telling you that. At some point, we're going to have relational problems. We're going to have social conflict. And that's what goes on in every... Guess what my old surfing buddy and I don't do anymore. I haven't seen him since. He went to Hawaii and got lost. Probably drowned in a surfing accident for all I know. But, and it's not a good thing. I did my best with him. But all I'm telling you is this, we're not going to be buddies. We just cannot be buddies. We can't be, oh, but what about Jesus? He hung out with the tax collectors and the sinners. He did not hang out with the tax collectors and sinners. You know that. We talked enough about this passage from the platform. I know your teenager loves to say this when you tell him not to hang out with these people. And he says, well, Jesus, if he's a Sunday school grad, Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. He did not hang out with them. That verb, you just can't say that. He went to call sinners to repentance. That's a whole different thing, okay? I called my buddy Neil to repentance and he refused. He didn't have any interest in that. He wanted to call God a liar and call Jesus something other than what he was. And at some point that affects our relationship. Matter of fact, really early on that affects our relationship. I would take a call from him any day of the week if he's still alive and say, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about Christ. That's not fanatical. That's like me saying, before we can really have a cool dinner together, we really need to have some discussion about you calling my wife, not my wife, and a guy. <laughs> At some point, we're going to have to deal with the elephant in the room. Theology has to be that important to you. And for Paul, guess what? He lost a lot of friends over saying, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And all I'm telling you is, gotta be ready for that. if the world saw you as one of its own, Jesus says, then it would love you as its own. But as it is, I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Some of us don't think, well, I don't know if ever something, I get some, get looked over for promotion, I can claim that verse. This ought to be the reality of us saying that's just part and parcel of how this happens. Being a Christian creates theological conflict and social conflict. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a message titled, Saul, New Challenges. Pastor Mike will be back in just a moment, so keep listening. And remember, you can hear this message and much more when you go to our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, as Pastor Mike explained, the Christian life is full of challenges, so it's vital that we support each other. And here at Focal Point, we want to strengthen and equip you to stand strong by providing straightforward, no-nonsense Bible teaching. And you can help us by providing the much-needed financial support we need to keep this ministry going. Now, you can help ensure that your fellow Christians everywhere have access to solid biblical teaching by making a generous donation at focalpointradio.org or by calling us at 888-320-5885. And this month when you give, we'll say thanks by sending you A.W. Tozer's book titled Men Who Met God, 12 Life-Changing Encounters. It's our gift when you give to Focal Point. Call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. Well, what's on your bucket list? 
If you're ready to cross off, take a trip of a lifetime, then you're invited to cruise with Pastor Mike to Alaska this summer. The trip is planned. The rooms are ready. We just need you. Now here's Pastor Mike with more information. Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me. From August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024, we're going to discover the splendor of God's Word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Thanks, Pastor Mike. To make your plans to cruise Alaska, go to focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow on Focal Point as Pastor Mike wraps up his message about Saul's new challenges. That's coming up Tuesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash Pastor Mike or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.